This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, leprosy, the disease that's as old as man, yet still very misunderstood. Today, because we can cure this infection and usually prevent or minimize most of these disabilities, the stigma is often more of a problem to the patient than the disease itself. What an ancient scourge looks like today when Radio Health Journal returns. Many of us feel pressure to answer a text, call, or email in the car, but you might be surprised to find out who's pressuring us most. Hi, I'm Debbie Herzman, President of the National Safety Council, and this is your Safety Minute. According to a recent poll, 82% of Americans feel the most pressure from their families to drive distracted. It's ironic that our loved ones are the ones putting us at risk. Americans continue to drive distracted despite knowing the dangers. There are more ways than ever to stay connected on the road, including in-car systems. But at the National Safety Council, we know that hands-free is not risk-free. So let your loved ones know that you care. Don't use your phone while driving, and don't call or text them when they're behind the wheel. Let them get home safely. Safety Minute is brought to you by the National Safety Council. diseases carry the social stigma of leprosy, the skin and nerve disease also known as Hansen's disease. In ancient and biblical times, people who came down with leprosy were shunned, and as late as World War II, leper colonies were a common means of quarantine. The federal government even implemented a policy of mandatory quarantine as a way to constrain the disease. Doctors falsely believed that leprosy was highly infectious. Incubation time was so long, they never knew when someone was going to get it or when someone was over it. That's Dr. David Scholar, director of the National Hansen's Disease Program. So they said, if you get this disease, we're going to put you away in a quarantine hospital or community. What that meant was you were basically imprisoned for life for having a disease. That was pretty much the practice around the world. And what happened in the United States, people were being evicted from their homes. They were being treated very badly in all different states. There are many, many different anecdotes. You could fill books with them. People would be run out of town, and their house and all its contents would be burned. And that was a real common kind of approach to this. Leprosy's history is documented as far back as 4,500 years. And doctors have known about the organism that causes it for more than a century. It was in the late 1800s that the germ was discovered. It was actually the first germ associated with a human disease. And you can imagine when the first doctor, his name was Hansen from Norway, when he discovered this, a lot of people didn't want to believe it. The germ theory was a new idea, and they knew germs caused some diseases in animals, but they didn't think that applied to people. So you can imagine that when he said, I think this disease is caused by a germ, people were, you know, thought he was crazy. It took him a long time, but actually this is kind of the birth of medical microbiology. But even to this day, we can't culture it in the lab like you grow other germs. Its genome is lacking some key elements we now understand to make important enzymes and proteins that it needs. And so it can only live inside a cell. And the only natural hosts that are susceptible are people and nine-banded armadillos. About 100 people per year develop leprosy in the U.S., many of them in the south where armadillos live. In very rare circumstances, the disease can be fatal, but Scholard says the biggest concern about leprosy is disability. The germ destroys peripheral nerves that carry instructions from our brain to our hands and feet. However, it's not true that leprosy causes those body parts to fall off, as people once believed. 
Leprosy also causes loss of sensation, which can progress to the point of being unable to feel deep pain. It can lead to motor paralysis, and this is paralysis of the muscles that enable you, for example, to open your hand, to extend your fingers. But the muscles that enable you to close your fingers still work. And so the hand is pulled into this position. If you can just imagine, if you can close your fingers, you can't open them. It's been called descriptively a claw hand. That hand is already anesthetic, can't feel. This person can scald themselves cooking or a cigarette can burn them and they don't even feel it. Those multiple injuries result in multiple trauma to the fingers, which will cause them to be shortened, often by surgery. Some bones in the fingers can actually just be absorbed after this total process of paralysis has happened, and they can just be absorbed. Fortunately, these advanced deformities are becoming less and less common. We can treat the disease, so everybody we treat, we prevent those deformities unless they are already present when we first see them. Another major concern is the eyes. Scholard says the hands, feet, and eyes are all cooler parts of the body, which are the prime target of the leprosy bacterium. Now, if you are walking down the street and you get something in your eye, you immediately stop and you bend over and you shelter your eye and you try to get it out. If you can't feel it, you just keep going on. But what happens to the cornea is it gets scratched and it gets scarred and corneal scarring can lead to blindness. The lack of sensation and the lack of muscle, peripheral muscle control are what causes the disabilities in this disease. One of the challenges with leprosy is its slow incubation period. The delay between onset and detection can typically range from 2 to 10 years before symptoms develop. In extreme cases, symptoms can take as long as 20 years to appear. For a long time, it was not treatable, not curable. The first medicine to treat this disease was discovered by this program during the 1940s. And that was the first time in human history this infection could be cured. Since that time, we've now got six or seven drugs we can use, and we can cure the infection in a fairly short period of time, one or two years, depending on the case. But it has a very long incubation time of seven to 10 years, sometimes even longer than that. That means you could be exposed now and not get it for 10 years and not know that even it was incubating. It's important to realize, too, that 95% of people are immune to this. They won't get it no matter how heavily they're exposed. So if 10 people are exposed with a sufficient exposure to the germ, one person gets it, and it might take 10 years to show up. But even in the 5% of people who would develop leprosy once exposed, Scholard says it's not a horrifying disease. People can live with leprosy. He says diseases like tuberculosis and malaria are much more concerning because of their high mortality rates. Fear is based on misunderstanding. 95% of people won't get this disease no matter how heavily they're exposed. And there are old examples of that with a person would be affected and their spouse would go with them to live at the hospital and never get the disease. So 95% of adults anyway, children might be a little more susceptible, are immune. They won't get it. And if you do get it, we have good drugs to treat it and cure it. So it's really not a disease that you have to be afraid of. The fear is based on misunderstanding and the old myths that go back a thousand years when it was incurable. And that's not true anymore. We cure it every week. But the old biblical scourge reputation has stuck. Even today, with all the effective treatments available, leprosy is one of the most stigmatized diseases in the world. It may never be eradicated, but Scholard says elimination of leprosy is underway. 
The National Hansen's Disease Program is trying to develop a vaccine, but in the meantime, leprosy remains curable and early treatment can avert disability. It's a very tragic thing because we can cure this infection and usually prevent or minimize most of these disabilities. The stigma is often more of a problem to the patient than the disease itself. You can find out more about leprosy and the Hansen's Disease Program through links on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. Our writer, producer this week is Heather Muno. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. As temperatures drop, are you among those who look forward to covering up unsightly bruises with sweaters and pants? Don't let your fall wardrobe be an excuse to leave bruises untreated. According to dermatologist Dr. Helen Torok, bruises happen for many reasons and may become more abundant as you age. To help correct this problem, Dr. Torok recommends incorporating Dermend Moisturizing Bruise Formula into your daily skincare regimen. Over time, skin can lose its firmness and elasticity due to a variety of factors, including medication, such as blood thinners, sun damage, heredity, or simply getting older. So building a stronger skin barrier early on is often very helpful. Dermend Moisturizing Bruise Formula contains targeted ingredients such as ceramides, retinol, arnica oil, and glycolic acid that work together to rejuvenate and help restore skin's natural barrier. Dermatologists report that it helps improve the appearance of bruises and boosts moisture and suppleness. For more information, visit Dermend.com. Medical Notes this week. If you use antibacterial soap, the formula is about to change. The FDA has banned 19 different antibacterial chemicals found in about 40% of all soaps, saying they do more harm than good. Public health experts have long claimed that plain soap and water are just as effective, while antimicrobial soaps encourage antibacterial resistance and may disrupt hormones. Soap makers have a year to get the chemicals out of their products. Predicting who will get Alzheimer's disease isn't possible yet, but a blood test could make it happen before long. Researchers writing in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease gave a blood test to a group of older people with mild memory problems. They found that high levels of three specific proteins were 85% accurate in predicting which of them would progress to Alzheimer's disease. An accurate prediction would enable early treatment. And finally, police may soon be getting the equivalent of a breathalyzer test for stone drivers. Up to now, they've had no way to quickly screen drivers for marijuana intoxication, but Stanford University scientists write in the journal Analytical Chemistry that they've created such a test. It's a spit test based on cancer screening. More than 20 states now allow some form of marijuana use, but most of them haven't set a definition for what constitutes being stoned. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Nearly everyone uses ladders to reach high-closet shelves, clean gutters, or hang holiday lights. But each year, thousands of ladder-related injuries require medical treatment in the U.S. Cuts, broken bones, and ankle injuries are very common. Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, an orthopedic surgeon and president of the American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society, says many of those injuries can be prevented by following a few basic guidelines. First, check the ladder for any loose screws, hinges, or rungs. On a step ladder, the highest standing level should be two steps down from the top, and on a single or extension ladder, never stand above the third rung from the top. Always wear lace-up shoes or boots rather than sandals, flip-flops, or slippers, and never lean too far to the side. You may lose your balance. 
keep your center of gravity as close to the ladder as possible. And a good rule of thumb is that your belly button should never go beyond the sides of the ladder. Using a ladder might seem easy, but misusing one is even easier. Don't let a do-it-yourself project do yourself in. Find out more safety tips at orthoinfo.org slash ladder safety. That's orthoinfo.org slash ladder safety. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.